0: about to hear my conversation with the chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the recent inflation numbers coming in a little softer than expected, what that might mean for the Federal Reserve response to it. We also address the US midterm elections and China. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr and I'm back with Dustin Reed, our Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back. Hey, thanks very much, Matt, for having me back. We have uh, quite a few topics uh, to cover today. It's been a busy uh, couple of weeks since we've had you on the podcast. Uh, I think that the best place to start is the CPI number coming out this morning. We're recording on November 10th. Uh, that number was uh, a little bit lower uh, than markets had anticipated. Uh, and um, and as such, we've seen a market rally uh, from that, um, as far as equities go, at least. Uh, Dustin, what did you think of that number? and uh, And how does that factor into your thinking?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's lots to talk about for sure. It's great. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, a big, big day here for the the 60/40 portfolio, obviously, uh, with uh, massive rally in equities and pretty big rally in fixed income side. Um, right. So I think that clearly the numbers came in a little bit weaker than expected. Um, the market was kind of 0.5% uh, on on the monthly. Uh, on headline and uh, a little bit lower on core. And uh, it came in even really lower on uh, on both of those. Um, some of the some of the more accurate forecasters have been kind of skewing lower. So the whisper number going in was lower. The CPI fixing market was pretty close to the Bloomberg consensus, maybe a sh- uh, just a hair lower. And then um, Cleveland Fed uh, now cast was on the high side. And it had had a very good track record the last three, four months. So I, to be fair, I was probably skewing a little bit on the high side, sticking with kind of the recent on, on the Cleveland side, but obviously printed a bit, a bit lower, but it's, uh, no, it's a seminal day. I mean, this is a big, this is a big number, not big in terms of upside surprise, but big in terms of uh, importance, I think, for global market sentiment here um, going forward. I, I think... We've been pretty hawkish, as a lot of listeners will probably know, uh, pretty hawkish on the inflation side for for quite a while here, at least a year and a half, I would say. And I I would say that, you know, while I don't think things are going to plunge and we're going to see some massive deflationary environment or disinflationary environment, I think that um, I'm becoming more and more comfortable calling the – we're past the peak of of inflation in terms of that narrative. And I think that I'm I'm pretty comfortable doing that. I mean, obviously – Policy counts, and if if the Fed or the BOC or other central banks kind of give up the ghost a little early, a la early 1970s, and inflation comes back, like, you know that could happen. But I don't think that that I don't think that is going to happen from a policy perspective. So I'm pretty comfortable saying that, it, uh, you know, barring some kind of third standard deviation event, I think we are uh, past the peak, and the market is clearly. Uh, very uh, very much trading that that thematic uh, here today and we'll see obviously if it follows through which I, I, I tend to think that it will at least for a bit just the way the calendar works so I, th- I think that that's probably pretty constructive uh, for uh, for markets here for the for the next few weeks or month uh, or two into the year end and the term. Uh, you know, the, the, the data without getting too nitty gritty, I think it was, you know, it's interesting to see a, a core goods deflation, real deflation now minus right. 0.3 on, on core goods um, and core services, I think were uh, 0.5 or 0.6 um, overall. So you, I mean, we've been talking about this rotation from goods to services inflation for a long time and uh, for a long time it was just a function of higher services versus goods inflation but now you've actually got services uh, you know on in the green and 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 goods in the red so to speak so you're actually really seeing that that differential and it's not a small it's not a small differential there's a, a few little statistical things like Healthcare stuff that was a drag. Uh, new car, uh, new and used car sales were a, a decent drag. Right. Um, you know, food prices remain relatively solid. The shelter stuff, which is obviously very, very important, a big driver, a little over thirty percent of the weight for inflation, uh, still pretty, uh, pretty chunky, uh, moving at a pretty good pace. we Will probably continue to do that for the next, I don't know, two, three, four months or slow or so before things slow a little right. bit. Um, the market, I think, is becoming more comfortable with that, and a few a few of the shops have kind of built their own proprietary uh, shelter inflation models and are are showing a, a pretty good peak uh, coming uh, relatively soon. But that's you know it's an, it's one thing, although it's obviously an outsized weight. And gasoline prices were a little bit higher the way the metrics were done this month versus last month, so that was an increase to the overall, at least the headline uh, sign. So yeah, so I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but I think when I you know when I step back, this is one of the more um, Uh, you know, uh, softer prints, so to speak, from a, from a core perspective, from a headline perspective, kind of reading all the way through that we've seen in a, in a very, very long time, I would say until it's it's at least second half last year, if not, um, you know, early second half of last year. So I think that's, you know, relatively constructive for those that are looking for a, okay, past the peak narrative and inflation could actually slow pretty materially here. So, uh, you know, I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty significant. I think the market will, Continue to trade off this um, for a bit, and obviously, you know, it does provide some uh, does provide probably some relief for the Fed uh, going into the the December meeting, and obviously, you know, we just had the uh, the November meeting last week. Right.
0: Um, Just before we get to to the Fed, because I think that's uh, obviously where we uh, need to to discuss next and the impact that this has on uh, thinking at the Fed. Um, You uh, in the past have uh, you you rightly pointed out that you've been hawkish. Uh, as as a group for some time part of that hawkishness was that you believe that uh, inflation may be stickier um and uh and a bit higher than people are expecting yeah. for for longer does right. anything yeah. about this print change that sort of mid to uh, longer term outlook or is it just we're past the peak and we're we're headed down
1: maybe a bit maybe a bit it's one data point I don't want to get too. Wrapped up in one data point, but it's definitely got it's definitely got my attention. I think from from my perspective, the you know level up to sticky, and then the sticky to structural, is very much around the idea that you know for North America, so kind of taking a Canada U.S. blend on inflation, so very round numbers, and going from eight percent headline inflation on an annual to five is one thing. Going from five to two is going to be quite another. And I, I would not be surprised if we get stuck, for lack of a better term, around I mean, I'm f- four, four and a half, th- you know, three and a half, four and a half, so, so, something in there. I.e., getting back down to pre-COVID levels, which are really, frankly, sub-two. Um, uh, and, and to be fair, I think that's probably on a, on a core CPR, core PCE measure, particularly in the US, is uh, is going to be challenging. So that, so when I when I talk about kind of that sticky structural stuff and part of it's the monthly and obviously the monthly is a part of the annual as, as, you know, as is obvious. But, um, but I, I think that getting the froth off, this is going to be one thing, but getting the really structural things off are going to be different. I mean, I think a lot of interesting things. You can kind of pick things out of the air or cherry pick and, you know kind of make your case which is always very dangerous when you're looking at statistics but you know this the, the CUPE uh, negotiations right uh in terms of what what the unions looking for here some of the airline unions in the US uh, you, right. know, you, you know united delta uh the pilots union um you know big big numbers you know we talked a lot about the IG metal uh trade union in germany uh um, right. which is kind of the, the bellwether for all for for all trade unions in in germany and maybe maybe somewhat by de facto the Eurozone uh, at eight or 9% when it when it was looking for its deal in the summer, right? So these are big numbers and we haven't seen a lot of just the way the calendar works and the way contracts work. You haven't seen a lot of these contracts come up for negotiation yet and renegotiation, right? So I think we're still going to see a lot of second and third round impacts here around different different labor unions and, and just even just private sector um, looking to... Uh, increase the increase the wages uh, and try and make up for obviously what's been a, a pretty challenging situation from a real wages perspective, right? A lot of people have been net net losers, so to speak, from a, from a real a real wages perspective. So, a lot of those haven't come up yet, and so this is kind of in, ingrained in my theory of, you know, eight to five is one thing, but five to two is going to be quite another.
0: Right, uh, good context. Uh, why don't we talk about the Fed? Uh, you referenced that uh, the the November meeting uh, we saw the seventy five basis point hike. Um, we're heading into December. Um, what do you what are you expecting out of the Fed uh, in December, and maybe any comments that you have uh, on the last meeting as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I would say I went in. We went into the November meeting with an expectation of a, a bit of a mixed bag because you had four or five, maybe even six. Uh, fed members both voting and non-voting uh start to talk about uh, f- slowing or slowing down or what they would need to pause and that sort of thing so we didn't like the term pivot um you know as we talked about on the last podcast you know i like the right. idea of kind of uh, gearing down or or um you know or downshift and that, and that sort of that sort of language and i think that's you know, I think that's appropriate. So we got um, a little bit of both as I, you know, as I would have expected the, the statement, the formal statement, which is the most important doc, uh, talked about that the Fed would take into, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but the Fed would take into account uh, the cumulative hikes that had already happened uh, as it made policy or, 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 you know, enacted policy going forward. Uh, you know, so basically reading between the lines, we've done a lot. It hasn't necessarily kicked in yet. We recognize this. And we're not going to necessarily keep going unless we really, really feel that we have to. Um, And then the press conference probably a little bit more hawkish uh, insofar as uh, talking around the the possibility that the the December SEP, the December dots, so to speak, would probably need to move up a little bit versus the September estimate, uh, which is the latest, the latest forecast round. And talking about higher for longer and uh, the, 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 um, Uh, the Fed funds rate needing to be extended or the hiking cycle needing to be extended maybe into, you know, maybe Q2 uh, of next year, which the market's not quite, quite there. And after today, definitely, definitely not there. Um, And so you had a little bit of uh, dovishness in the statement and a little bit of hawkishness in the, in the press conference. So I, I would say, you know, for us, we were expecting both of those things myself. uh, I was expecting the market to kind of lean on the, dovishness, um, of, of how that might, of how that would all come together and okay, we're doing less kind of downshifting and going to be generally good for, for risk sentiment market, uh, not everyone obviously, but mostly the market skewed towards the idea of, uh, the hawkish nature and, and a higher terminal rate and, and being extended. So I was a little surprised in the market reaction, um, And then, kind of fast forward to today, with today's data, the market is obviously uh, exceptionally bullish on what is proceeding as, you know, data that will allow the Fed to be quite a bit less uh, hawkish and maybe even somewhat more dovish. Um, And so, you're seeing this, you know, a very, very significant rally. And obviously, we'll, you know, recording today, and we'll see how this follows through. But I think it's pretty, you know, I do think it's pretty constructive. So this is kind of the reaction I would have expected. For the coming out of the Fed meeting last week, but we didn't, you know, we didn't quite get it. But now that there's kind of data to corroborate it, uh, you know, sort of, and I do think it's a, you know, it's one piece of data, but it is, it is significant. You know, this is maybe what it, what it takes, and now the market can kind of swing back a little bit and focus more on the downshift side uh, as opposed to the terminal rate side. Although, of course, the terminal rate is getting priced significantly lower, you know, even versus 24 hours ago on the back of today's you know, CPI data. So going into December to answer, I guess, the second part. Um, <clears throat> well, I do think the dots will come up because I don't think that the Fed is going to necessarily give up the ghost on inflation. I don't think it wants to do a stop start. So I think it would rather have a continuous cycle as opposed to pause and then um, get back into it again. So I still like this, this terminal rate that I've been kind of focused on uh, for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, five maybe. Um, five to five and a quarter. So essentially, uh, you know, if, if the market's pricing 5.07 or 5.08, 5.07 or 5.08, 5.09 terminal rate, which would be the effective Fed funds rate, really probably in a in a in a five to five and a quarter um, Fed funds targeted range, I think is I think is appropriate. So to get that hmm. now, um, a fifty a fifty and a twenty five at three consecutive meetings at and call it December, uh, February, March would would get you there. I don't think that's inappropriate at all. Uh, Mark is probably skewing a little bit less than that now after the CPI numbers this morning, maybe 50, 25, 25, as opposed to 50, 50, 25. I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs a little bit at this point, but I think that's, I, I'm, I'm still comfortable after today's data with that with that estimate. And that's, that's the estimate we've been using on the fixed income team for uh, a number of weeks now. So I think that's probably where it's at. So with that, I would expect the dots to come up a little bit. Right. Um, but we are going to see more two-way dialogue from the Fed. Mm-hmm. I, I would even say maybe even three-way dialogue because within the the camp that wants to slow, there's going to be those that um, are talking about uh, pausing and then there are going to be those that are talking about slowing. So right. you can easily see a three-way conversation or three-way narrative really happening. And you're, and you're seeing that already. And I think that's been part of the r- rationale for the market chop, so to speak, over the last three, four, five weeks, six weeks, where you're seeing an introduction of more uh, two-way dialogue, let's say, as opposed to one-way dialogue, and it was really just a question of okay, what's the delta around that dialogue? How how high a rate's going to have to go, how fast, right? And now it's a question of okay, how high do they need to go? Uh, when, and then within that, when can we pause? You know, for some, and then uh, you know, right. we haven't had the cut, the easing conversation yet, but that's that's coming in Q1 or Q2. And I'm still very comfortable with the idea of easing rates in Q4 for the Fed. I think that that's that's very that's very likely, um, particularly if we continue to get prices data, inflation data uh, like we do like we did today, um, you know, going forward. But yeah, so I think we'll continue to see, you know, the messaging is going to be tough, more difficult for the market to read. It's going to be on one hand this, on the other hand that type thing, and then the minutes are going to also reflect that three weeks after each meeting. A lot of mixed commentary. You know, on one hand this, on on the other hand that, and it's going to be a little bit more challenging, I think, for markets to to realize. But I think that you know a five or five and a quarter terminal rate for for the Fed is well into restrictive territory. It will probably do a lot of accomplishing the job that I think the Fed wants to do. Obviously, it wants to see inflation uh, slow, and it wants to see this beverage ratio come off pretty significantly. That's generally what I would expect for. For the for the Fed, so I think incrementally versus the November meeting, I mean, I'm sitting here today on the margin, all things equal, it probably has to get slightly more dovish to continue the evolution of the narrative, as opposed to uh, you know switching gears and upshifting back to more hawkish or even even staying steady.
0: Great, um, uh, changing topics. Uh, we just uh, came through the uh, U.S. midterm elections. Uh, I think the right. overall narrative uh, is that uh, Democrats sort of outperformed where many uh, people had expected them. Uh, the House nor the Senate still hasn't been called, so we actually don't know who's going to uh, uh, retain control of, of either uh, one right. of those. Uh, what, what was your right. view on the, the midterms? Uh, were you surprised and, and what are the implications?
1: So I think for markets, at least for now, it's more of a story as opposed to an impact. And obviously, you know, I think, I think it's, it's an important story. But, you know, I think our chat a couple of weeks ago, we, we touched on it a bit, which, you know, it's, it's, I think, good to do. Wasn't a big believer it was going to have a huge outsized impact on markets. And I, that would right. still be my overall impression. I uh, you know, my my view, you know, having lived in the States for a long time and, you know, but growing up here in Canada and, you know, now coming back uh, and spending a lot of time on the US politics side when I was there, I feel like um, the the momentum kind of going into the election for the Republicans um, pro- probably didn't materialize at the polls as much as they expected. Um, right. It could be a turnout issue, it could be a, a voter lack of apathy, you know, type type thing. Um, but I would say it was probably slightly disappointing for 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 the GOP. Um, that said, it, it does look like the House is flipping and McCarthy will be speaker. Um, but he will probably have a really tough time with the kind of Trump uh, the Trump flank of the Republican Party and and getting getting to an agreement maybe inter party intra party I should say um on on any legislation never mind before getting it uh you know passing it across the aisle to to the democrats um it looks like here and obviously we're recording on on thursday the 10th here um it looks like uh nevada is going to be uh very very close and i think arizona is probably going to go for the democratic candidate so as we sit here, it's 49, depending on who you look at, but it's basically 49 for the GOP, 48 for the Senate, uh, sorry, for the Democrats, and um, they're kind of waiting for these last three, um, Georgia, uh, Nevada, and and Arizona. So Georgia is going to go to runoff, as I'm sure most people have seen. That, that was not unexpected, uh, even by us. I mean, I think we said... I would not be surprised if we woke up the next morning we didn't have an answer and we could have another Jan 21 event here on Georgia, which right. I think we're going to get. So I don't think Warnock is going to get um, to 50 to 50 percent, which is which is what any any candidate needs to prevent prevent a runoff in Georgia. So I think it's very close. I mean, obviously if if the Democrats take um, Arizona and Nevada, uh, that would give them 50 uh, plus the presumable tiebreaker vote. So that would be, um, you know, it would, it would, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what happens in Georgia. It definitely matters because of the way people caucus and all those sorts of things, but it would right. effectively leave it uh, similar to where we are. Um, uh, the, the Pennsylvania race was very interesting, a little bit, a little bit more of a gap than I would have expected. I kind of thought Nevada, uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania would be the big, uh, maybe really close ones, but, uh, Dr. Oz did lose by uh, a slightly more than expected margin, I would say, versus the Democrat candidate, and and that seat flipped from uh, a Republican who retired uh, to right. to a Democrat. So that was not that was not insignificant. So I think net net, um, you know, we still have to we still have to wait. Uh, regardless, it's going to be uh, you know uh, splitting hairs in the Senate, uh, very very close. And the margin of victory by the Republicans for the House is not massive enough that um, that that it's going to be easy to get anything done, even if they do control both um, both parts um, both parts of Congress. <clears throat> so I expect a lot of uh, policy paralysis, you know, which, which is pretty standard and consensus here. I'm not not necessarily saying saying anything um, overly overly shattering um, I think again, there's still a small probability here that we're going to see. Some sort of uh, fiscal package passed in the lame duck session Hmm. between now and January. I guess maybe what could be a bit of a concern, particularly if the Republicans take both the House and the Senate, and we'll see if that happens. I think it's tough, but possible, I guess. Mathematically, it still is. Um, What's going to happen with the debt ceiling? Because the Republicans, GOP have basically said that they are going to really hold the debt ceiling to account. Uh, unless they can kind of get some of these things, uh, some of these fiscal things uh, repealed that they have not loved over the last couple of years. So once in a while, you know, from a market perspective, we have this uh, get to the 11th hour, 11th and a half hour, so to speak, on on the debt ceiling or government shutdown or what have you. And so that could be a th- that could be a thing, quote unquote, in Q1. But I think there are so many other macro themes that are so important for markets right now. I, I'm not convinced that even uh, a debt ceiling issue at this point, or at least the threat of a debt ceiling issue, is going to be uh, a major a major driver for markets. So I think it's a really interesting story. I think it's important, obviously. I don't want to totally dismiss it, but I'm not, uh, at this point anyway, and we can obviously update it if it changes, but I'm not a huge buyer that um, we're going to see a, um, we're going to see huge market impacts from from the election here. Um, there are other drivers that are important.
0: Great. Um, good context, Dustin. Uh, shifting to China, uh, who's uh, recently come out of uh, their uh, 20th party Congress. Um, and uh, and I'd love your thoughts on uh, anything to do with the, the Congress in general, but also the zero COVID policy. Um, they seem like they've, uh, they're firmly committed to this policy. Uh, what's your view on, on that?
1: So I think, um you know, there's a few interesting things out of the Congress one one the the big one from a political perspective is probably uh, a bit of a rotation away from uh some of the more economic reformer um, personalities and a little bit right. more towards the uh domestic uh maybe more military type personalities and so that that rotation so to speak um you know kind of kind of speaks for itself in terms of how Things may evolve here for the next little bit. The COVID-zero the COVID policy coming out of the Congress was, you know, very, very significant, obviously, and um, it's been a big driver for uh, for markets. I think the last the last couple of weeks. I think um, what we've seen is uh, a lot of chatter come coming out of of Asia in terms of is China going to amend its COVID policy, tweak it, drop it. Um how, how how is that going to work? And there seems to be a fair bit of discussion around it. So we've had comments from the foreign Ministry out of China, we've had comments this past weekend from the National health uh, National Health Association or National Health Committee um basically saying no change, no change and case counts are up significantly and large cities are getting locked down. so it is uh, very much s- some of the same uh, in terms of what we've been seeing the last, the last couple of years. So I think that, you know, broad speaking from a macro perspective, not expecting a huge imminent change from um, from China on COVID zero and she, you know, party leader seems to be very much married to that policy. What I do think is potentially interesting here is how this narrative evolves in the next one or two quarters, let's say, through through H1 2023. And I think that that's, I I can kind of get a sense that there are going to, I mean, this is not going to just disappear overnight. This is not going to be a snap the fingers and it's going to go, it's going to be turning a tanker and going to need to watch what senior leaders are saying uh, and look for very small changes in language and communication around this. I think that I'm not going to say that China is going to dump its zero COVID policy, but what I what I am becoming more and more comfortable saying is that I think China will uh, start to tweak and let on that is it is in the process of getting rid of its COVID zero policy uh, in the coming quarter or two, so really first half of next year. And I think that is a really interesting and important theme that is important for all markets, not just fixed income. Uh, But obviously, uh, FX, uh, credit, equities, uh, commodities, I mean, everything really, right, total cross-asset trade. Um, I think the the general consensus is that China opening up is uh, pretty constructive for global demand, um, pretty constructive for global growth, uh, probably eases on the supply chain a little bit. So it's probably uh, inflation lower on the margin, And uh, but I would say you know in in you know in in tangent with that big upside for potential for for some commodities, particularly those that are relatively low inventory or stock levels. Right. Um. So it's not it's not entirely one way on maybe on the prices inflation side because you could see continued goods price deflation, but you could see uh, input uh at least in the short term you could see pretty big input increases on the commodity side right so that would obviously have an impact on on goods and imports uh sorry goods and inputs in the medium and longer term uh but but the initial reaction may not may not necessarily be that way but i think it could be a really significant driver for cross asset market sentiment here in the first half of the year um and you know one of the things i'm very focused on is You know, as always, is trading not only what the current theme is, but what the next theme is, and trying not to be too far ahead of that, uh, but kind of getting the timing right. And I'm starting to put a lot of time and thought into the reopening COVID-zero idea and what it means and and when, obviously, and how does the market trade it? Given that it's probably going to be a bit of a a drip feed as opposed to a step function from from China, and then obviously how markets trade that. But you know, from a fixed income perspective, uh, it's Probably the end of the flattener, uh, and you know it would be I see. Um, could could see you know, could see some in, could see some interesting steepening action. Um, you know, from an equities perspective, I mean, I, I would I would presume that it would be potentially quite quite constructive from a risk sentiment perspective, right? And the dollars had a bit of a rough ride the last few weeks, and uh, I think it would probably continue this recent narrative of the dollars peaked, uh, and we would probably see you know Canadian dollar rally uh, quite, quite well against the U S dollar from, uh, you know, high beta FX perspective. EMFX could also potentially do quite well too. So it could be a real, a real theme for 23, particularly H one 23. So it's definitely uh, something that, uh, I'm spending more and more time on. And I mean, obviously central banks and the fed are very, very important and that remains, you know, front yes. center for, for myself and for the team, obviously. Um, but I think this, this China theme could be, um, Maybe not equally as important, but a very close second in terms of uh, market drivers for uh, for the first half of the year. So I think it's very important for uh, investors to uh, keep an eye on that and kind of understand where where their portfolios are with respect to if there's a big I mean, somewhat like today, if there's a big rally in risk assets very very quickly, uh, are you are you properly positioned for it?
0: uh well that's a, a great segue to to uh speaking about the portfolios in general uh sure. given what you've seen uh what kind of uh trading are you doing within those portfolios
1: so we've been pretty active on uh a few a few ideas that we've been talking about um and the tactical alpha side one, one that we've done in the last few weeks i think we were talking about it maybe during the last podcast or we were in the process of putting it through but um uh, so we we've effectively um, moved to neutral on most of our portfolios on the the dollar Canada uh, hedge. So a lot of the time we are uh, well'll we'll, we'll move it we'll move it up and down, but often just because of the synthetic flows that we have and we buy a lot of US paper, we're synthetically long, um, a lot of a lot of US dollars. so we've we've cut that back, thankfully with uh, today's move. Uh, and Friday's move. To be fair, um, so we're we're pretty close to neutral on most of our portfolios with our dollar Canada exposure, or at least what we would define as what we would define as neutral, which may not actually be an absolute zero level, it might be slightly higher than zero just because of the flows. But how right. we define it internally within the team, uh, where we're comfortable with with neutral levels. So that's been a big one from kind of a short term tactical alpha perspective. Um, this idea around getting long. Long end duration, uh, not only on the Canada side but but in other spots uh, has also been uh, something that we've been we've been working on. You know, Constantine's been leading the charge on the on the Canada duration play, and that's obviously had a pretty good run here, uh, particularly today. Um, but this idea again that that Canada was kind of first in, so it might be first out. BOC was first in, first out, uh, and buying duration and long end Canada. Um, so we've been we've been you know doing doing that. And I think we're uh, getting to a point where we're comfortable in terms of our overall uh, overall exposure. Um, and then on the credit on the credit side, I think uh, you know we continue to or I think we've we've shed a lot of our loan uh, exposure. Um, I mean we still hold a, a lot to be fair, but we were we were quite overweight and we are now looking for kind of sh- shifting out of maybe loan exposure to more short-term uh, investment grade, um, which has been mm-hmm. yielding uh, pretty pretty strong. Um, results, you know, Constantine's also been saying, uh, you know, if you could get, uh, you know, at five and a half, two year um, uh, IG investment grade uh, yields, it's quite quite an attractive level to clip coupons. And then then to be fair, within the duration space, um, you know, obviously, and and I do it all the time, I just did it myself, uh, you know, kind of default towards the nominal side, but we've actually spent a lot of uh, time and uh, reallocated the portfolio to what you would call globally linkers, or hmm. or real return bonds, uh, you know, right. in the U.S. that would be tips. Uh, here it would be you know real return, uh, real real return bonds. Um, so we we've put um, put a fair amount of our our added duration, long end duration on on real return bonds and, and tips. Uh, we really like this 1. 1.6, 1. 6, 1. 1.7 level in in uh, in U.S. thirty year tips. We think it's we think it offers very attractive value. Um, and so we've added a lot of our duration via real yields as opposed to nominal yields. Uh, and, you know, the, the European trade continues to kind of grind in the background a little bit. Uh, we've taken some of our Italian position off. We still hold the, uh, from a macro perspective, the, the Japan position. Um, so there's a lot of, and there's, you know, probably half a dozen other things we could probably go through. But kind of the big ones, I would say, is the duration trade, particularly within that, the, the real versus nominal trade, the, the dollar Canada uh, exposure and then kind of rotating uh, a little bit on the credit scale away from loans and into a short-term uh, ig those have been kind of the big ones i'd say of the last two three four weeks that we've been looking at and uh and executing and um yeah i think there'll be a lot of really interesting trading opportunities here um you know for a lot of the reasons we just discussed through through year- end and into the turn and into q one 23
0: Thanks, Dustin. Um, I'm I'm struck by the fact that this is the first podcast in some time that I'm feeling rather optimistic. It sounds like <laughs> there's a a couple of uh, of um, events that could happen first half next year, whether that be uh, inflation coming down and, and interest rates uh, hiking stop and and, uh, and the zero covid uh, from China uh, Yeah, well. yep. So, um, thanks for that. It's been it's been yeah. some time, Dustin. So
1: for sure, appreciate for it. sure. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> you're very welcome. We'll we'll catch you next time. Yep. Look forward to it. Thanks very much for having me on.
0: The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events